Greetings in the name of the Triune God. Welcome to the Rural Midwestern Pastor Podcast. My name is David Johnson, and I am blessed to pastor the rural congregation known as Samanach Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us as we explore together how the scriptures declare the good news that God's kingdom has come to us in Jesus. If you'd like more information on our rural congregation, please visit samanachbaptistchurch.org. That's S-O-M-O-N-A-U-K, baptistchurch.org. Thank you for listening. May grace, peace, and everything good be yours in King Jesus. Greetings. Welcome to the SBC Daily Word for Tuesday, June 8th, 2021. It's been a while since we've been doing this together. Um, I frankly just needed some time off, um, not because I'm too busy, but because I'm limited, an author said to say that um, for us. So we should be back here to our regular routine of twice a week, posting on Tuesdays and Thursdays a meditation from the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm recording this on Monday. And Monday is a good day to consider the wisdom that Ecclesiastes offers us. So again, a little bit of review. What I think has going on in Ecclesiastes is we have a narrator who is then, having compiled the wisdom of Solomon, is now offering to God's people post-exile how they can learn from the mistakes Solomon made. Commentators will tell you that as Persia let the Israelites back to the promised land to repair the temple, to rebuild the walls, and kind of get an economy going again, that that was leading to a time of prosperity. And what the actual editor, the actual compiler of the wisdom of Solomon wants for his people is to learn from the mistakes that Solomon made because Solomon had everything this world under the sun could ever offer him. And he learned that ultimately pursuing under the sun prosperity is meaningless. It's vanity. It's a chasing after the wind. The Hebrew term is hebel. It just sounds like one of those words that's just meaningless. Well, on a Monday that I'm recording this, Again, this is an appropriate day in our culture to kind of consider the toil that sometimes characterizes our week. If I was to summarize our passage, so we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes 3, verse 16, through chapter 4, verse 6. To summarize that section of uh, Ecclesiastes' argument, I would summarize it this way. Because this world is full of toil, oppression, and envy toil, oppression, and envy, we should give ourselves to enjoying quiet work. To enjoying quiet work. So if we consider ourselves as individuals and the various personalities we have, sociologists kind of divide our inner world into three different sections. To kind of overgeneralize those sections, the one section would be the head, okay? The other section would be the heart, and the other section would be the body or the gut, okay? So there's people who tend to live life 
in their head or people tend to live life in their heart or people tend to live their life out of their body, okay, through physical activity, okay? For me, and, and most of you who know me could probably guess, I'm a head guy, okay? I'm a five on the Enneagram. I tend to retreat into my head. Well, one of the things that I've been advised to do during times where I retreat into my head is to try and find to get out of my head and into one of the other triads. Okay. So like one of the things that I've decided to do on Sunday afternoons, because Sunday afternoons can be a time for me when I get into my head is to get out of my head by doing physical work. So yesterday, Sunday afternoon is a time when pastors can just rethink and rethink and rethink and rethink and kind of get involved in this loop. So what I did yesterday is I went to the baseball diamond that, that Silas's team plays on and I just pulled some weeds and did some raking to kind of get the field into better shape because we've got three home games this week. And it was amazing how giving myself to solitary, quiet work, using my body and not my mind, it brought healing. It brought rest. It brought peace. What Ecclesiastes is going to teach us is, yes, the world around us is full of toil, oppression, and envy. So the answer is, change the world. No. The answer is, give yourself to enjoying quiet work. So let's unpack Ecclesiastes. We'll begin first by reading verses 16 to 22. Moreover, I saw under the sun. That's a phrase that's repeated over and over and over again in Ecclesiastes. It's kind of a life that is reduced to only what you can see. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, wickedness was there. And in the place of righteousness, wickedness was there as well. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for he has appointed a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart, with regard to human beings, that God is testing them to show that they are but animals. For the fate of humans and the fate of animals is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and humans have no advantage over the animals, for all is vanity, meaninglessness, pebble. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and all return to the dust. Who knows whether the human spirit goes upward and the spirit of animals goes downward to the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better than that all should enjoy their work, for that is their lot, who can bring them to see what will be after them. So the author makes an observation. The teacher makes an observation. Life under the sun is full of injustice. That if you give yourself to just researching life, you will find that around the world during every period in human history, amongst every people in human history, there has been injustice. So that's the observation. Then he gives us two truths to respond to that. First truth, verse 17, God has appointed a time for judgment. God isn't going to allow injustice to go on into eternity. 
God has appointed a day for judgment. And then verses 18 to 21, the teacher argues that God has a purpose, that ultimately God has a patient purpose for delaying. Other texts give us reason for the delay. This text simply says that God's patient delay is revealing the nature of our injustice. But again, notice the conclusion. Verse 22. So I saw that there is nothing better than all should enjoy their work, for that is their lot. Who can bring them to see what will be after them? In other words, don't get so caught up in how unjust the world is that it paralyzes you from doing what you have been given to do. So the conclusion is humbly give yourself to what God has given you to do. I was reminded of this this past Thursday, as for the first time in over a year, well over a year, I sat in a coffee shop with a pastor's cohort that I'm a part of. Dr. Dan, Dan Eddington, who's the director of mission for the Three Rivers Baptist Association that we are a part of, calls together a monthly cohort of pastors, depending on the region of our association that they're in. So typically on the first or second Thursday, when there isn't a pandemic going on, we gather at Jeremiah Joe's in Ottawa and just get together with other pastors. We read a book and discuss it. We pray together. We describe what's going on. And it was a very, very helpful time. And one of the things that we discussed for a good portion of our meeting is how racism is being exposed over and over and over again in our culture and how different organizations have responded to unjust treatment of different races. And kind of as we talked about this issue and this issue and this issue, one of the things that the wisdom of this pastor's group kept coming back to is we are called to a response that is local. That ultimately when there's injustice going on in, in, in Ferguson, Missouri, when there's injustice going on in um, Minneapolis, yes, we grieve that. Yes, we pray for that situation. Yes, we bear witness to how the gospel responds to this racial injustice. But ultimately, getting so wrapped up in that should never paralyze me from saying, what can I do locally? How can I work for racial justice in Samanak, Sandwich, and the surrounding communities? How can I? treat justly and with compassion respond to um, people in our community who would be considered persons of color. On our baseball team, we have an African-American boy. On our baseball team, we have an Hispanic boy. How we can, as a local community, seek to, to, to break down different walls that divide the races within our neighborhood. I think there's a connection to that local neighborhood response to what Ecclesiastes is saying here. Yes, the world is unjust. So give yourself to the work that you have been given to do. A similar observation is made in the first three verses of chapter four. Life under the sun is not only full of injustice, but life under the sun is full of oppression for the weak. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are practiced under the sun. Look, 
the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power with no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who have already died more fortunate than the living who are still alive, but better than both is the one who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. So he sees injustice, now he sees oppression for the weak, and then what angers him is not so much the oppression, but there are people who have power, there are people who have resources, there are kings, there are leaders, there are politicians, there are people in the majority who have power, who have resources, and they don't use that power to comfort those who need comforting. Beloved, one of the things that, that we decided at Jeremiah Joe's that we could do is we could simply listen. We could simply sit and listen to our brothers and sisters of color and, and, and have them describe the different suffering that they've had to endure because of their ethnicity. And to recognize that, that are there things that, that, that I can't fix? Yes, but I have been given two ears. And I can simply, without defense, without saying, well, I didn't do that, I didn't participate in that, just listen. To listen and in so listening, provide comfort. Life under the sun is full of injustice. Life under the sun is full of oppression for the weak because the power misused their power and that leads to this hopelessness. So now there's a reflection in verses four, five, and six. The reflection answers this question. What is the thing underneath the oppression and the injustice? The answer in verses four, five, and six. Then I saw, Ecclesiastes four, verse four, that all toil and all skill and work come from one person's envy of another. This also is vanity and a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and consume their own flesh. Better is a handful with quiet than two handfuls with toil and a chasing after the wind. Oppression, injustice, violence. What is the thing underneath? What is the root that produces the fruit of injustice and oppression and a lack of comfort? For those who are being treated unjustly and being oppressed, envy. People desiring what other people have is really what makes this fallen world go around. So how can we hear these words and apply them in our text? A couple of truths. One, resurrection is the antidote to the disease of toil, oppression, and envy. I almost want to capitalize those phrases, toil, oppression, and envy. They have this spiritual power underneath them. And what we learn from Jesus, who is the true wisdom from God, the true quahelet, the true teacher, is that envy, in agreement with Ecclesiastes 4, 4, 5, and 6, envy is the thing that's underneath all of those things. Oppression, injustice, toil, that's a symptom, and the disease is envy, okay? How are we gonna get to that? Like, how is that gonna be healed? The answer is resurrection. Jesus, 
who is described as a teacher many times in John chapter 5, says this. John chapter 5, starting in verse 24. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. So Ecclesiastes 4 promises that judgment's coming. We will thrive in that judgment if we are connected to Jesus. He continues, very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. That ultimately, the promise of Ecclesiastes 3 and 4 is that judgment is coming. And Jesus is now saying, be yoked to me so that you can be transformed so that on the day of judgment, it will be good news. Resurrection is the antidote. Resurrection is the medicine that kills oppression, justice at the root. Oppression and injustice, wickedness and injustice are the fruit. The root is envy. So I'm picking weeds yesterday. So our field is prepared for games this week. And when I've been there with the boys helping get the field ready and I ask them to pick some weeds, what do I tell them? Pull the weed and get the whole root. Otherwise, it'll just grow back. Ultimately, what Ecclesiastes is saying is there is a root, there is a disease, and these things that you see are symptoms of the disease. What's the disease? The disease is envy. Beloved Jesus, who's greater than Solomon, told us the same thing, which leads to our second truth. In Jesus, the wickedness of envy is exposed and destroyed. The root of wickedness and injustice and oppression is taken care of on the cross. This is in Mark 15, starting in verse six. Now at the feast, he, Pilate, used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate, and Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? And they cried out, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The most unjust, the most wicked thing ever done, the most innocent man ever, the only innocent man ever, was crucified. Why? 
because of envy. The wickedness and the injustice that murdered Jesus, the root of that fruit is envy. Beloved, we are way too comfortable with envy. We are way too comfortable with seeing what something else, someone else has and wanting it. Beloved, in some measure, our whole economy, just think about the targeted ads that you receive on Facebook or on Amazon based upon your search history. We think you might like this. There's algorithms. Okay, that's just a fancy word for they kind of watch your buying habits and then they give you other options to envy. That's what advertisement is. We want you to envy these shoes. We want you to envy what this athlete has. We want you to envy what this gentleman in the commercial has because he drinks this beverage. In some sense, our envy is what gets seized upon that gets us to spend money, that gets us to go into debt, that gets us to purchase things that ultimately will never satisfy. This is why Sidney Gradanis says, here for the first time, the teacher exposes what lies behind our toil. It is envy. Envy inspires competition and thus twists the noble sense of vocation into an exercise in rivalry, into an upward and onward quest in the pursuit of dominance leading even to violence. Our ruthless competition with each other to gain ever more stuff is vanity, he says. It is futile. It is a chasing after the wind. That is to say, it leaves us empty-handed. So to obey this text, I want to encourage you to do something that, that we as a family try to do. Do we always succeed at this? No. Psalm 46 says, Be still and know that I am God. In Jeremiah, the prophet says, this is what the Lord says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom nor the strong boast of their strength nor the rich boast of their riches. That, that ultimately there's kind of this, look at what I have, envy me. Instead, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. So in some sense, these two texts, Psalm 46 and Jeremiah 9, bring together all of the various themes that Ecclesiastes has brought together. The world is unjust. The world is full of wickedness. The world is full of boasting and envy. What's the answer? The answer is to take the energy that we used to give to envy, boasting, the energy that, 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 that awakens within us when we are just overwhelmed by how unjust and wicked the world is, to take that energy and, and, and give it to knowing God because that next purchase, that next house, that next car, that next vehicle, that next relationship, that next trip is ultimately going to leave you empty-handed. So one of the things that we as a family try to do this came from a book by Andy Crouch called The TechWise Family, because ultimately it's technology that uses envy to get you and me to purchase things. So we do a lot of shopping these days on our phones. We see a lot of advertisement on our phones, and I'm not encouraging you to give up 
I don't know that you can give up that technology. What I'm asking us to do is to say it needs to loosen, loosen its grip. So Andy Crouch in his book, The TechWise Family, says ultimately for you and for me, in order to break that hold, we should endeavor to unplug our phones, even turn them off for one hour a day, one day a week, and one week a year. Where we say, I'm going to for an hour, put my phone on airplane mode, plug it in, and ignore it for one hour a day. For us, that's dinner time. One day a week, for me, that's usually Friday. Sometimes half of Friday, half of Saturday. Still haven't figured out how to do the whole one week a year thing. You go on vacation, but you need your phone to GPS and the whatever, whatever, whatever. But to just find ways to, in the words of the CSB translation from Psalm 4610, to cease striving. To be a people who our response to the havoc of the world is to slow down and to give ourselves to enjoying the work God has given us to do. May God bless you with peace, grace, and everything good. I love you all.